God is great, greatly to be praised. It's wonderful to be able to commemorate the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And this time of year uh, rightfully brings us to an understanding that Jesus came into this world. And that's what, that's what all life is about. It's not just sometime, something that we focus on one time a year, but it's something that is to consume our minds. That Jesus entered into this world not only uh, to be born, but to live a life that was compliant with the Word of God. And then, of course, to give himself as the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Amen. I'm listening to that song, The First Noel. I get called the first Joel a lot. And uh, that's a good thing to be connected to. Amen. I'm going to be looking at the, the gospel according to Matthew chapter 2. And uh, we're, we're not going to necessarily take a text per se, but I want to focus our attention on the Christmas account in the scriptures. So we'll be looking a little bit at Matthew chapter 2, uh, a little bit at uh, some other verses of scripture that are connected to it. Uh, we're teaching tonight on the subject, Herod had a plot, but God had a plan. Herod had a plot, but God had a plan. Uh, this is something we can all relate to because uh, it feels many times as if the enemy has a plot set to destroy our lives. And if you feel that way, then you don't feel incorrectly. This is absolutely true. The enemy does have a plot, a scheme, an idea about your life and about what he can do to disrupt your life and ultimately cause you to lose your soul. Losing your soul doesn't just happen overnight. He starts by taking other things. So, so before you lose your soul, many times you lose your joy. Before you lose your soul, many times you lose your peace. Uh, before you lose your soul, you lose your love. Before you lose your soul, you lose your devotion to God. And then, and then ultimately, uh, you're not ready to meet him at the time of your passing or at the time of his return. And this is the plot of Satan, to destroy people, to, to disrupt their lives, to bring terror, to bring torture, to bring pain, to deceive to cause there to be a stumbling block. And so we must understand this about the adversary. We must understand this about our adversary because if we're not careful, we will just go along life with business as usual, unsuspecting, unassuming, and believing somehow that this is not at all a problem when, in fact, it is very much a reality that there is an enemy who has his sights on you and I. We find this in the word of the Lord. Uh, we find this in 1 Peter chapter 5. I'm going to read that verse of scripture to you. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse uh, number 7. Or verse number 8. The Bible says, be sober, be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Remember that when you are uh, considering that it's all right to dabble in something that has a sensual, uh, devilish 
uh, items attached to it. That it's all right to dabble in thoughts and in practices that are connected to your adversary. Notice that he is as a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour. John chapter 10 verse 10. The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Here we see a distinction between the plot of the enemy and the plan of God. The thief comes not but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. One of the very... uh, very uh, pronounced areas of scripture where we see this on display is in the book of Job. In the book of Job, as the book begins, we're taking a look at the life of a man the Bible describes as a perfect man. One who was upright and who eschewed evil. He shunned evil. And he had dotted all of his I's, crossed all of his T's. He had everything in order. But the enemy had been looking for somebody to assault. Very clearly the Bible describes what 1 Peter 5 and 8 tells us. Satan appears before God with the sons of God and the Lord asks him, what are you doing here? What are you up to? And the devil's response is that I'm going to and fro throughout the earth Looking for somebody to latch on to. Looking for somebody to mess with. Looking for somebody to sick a demon on. Now listen, the devil's not omnipresent. The devil doesn't, he doesn't, he's not like God in the sense that he has God's powers. So you have to understand that about the devil. Your flesh is as much a problem for you as the devil is a problem for you. All the devil has to do is whisper something and your flesh will take it and run with it. He can whisper something to you at one point in your life and move on. And your flesh will dwell on it and, and exacerbate that, at that problem by continual worry, by continual fantasy, by continual doubt, by continual fear. And it becomes a problem. Whereas the devil has moved on to somebody else to torment. And there are spirits evil spirits and they're all a part of the devil's plot the Bible describes a spirit of fear Uh, the Bible describes various spirits unclean spirits in one place it described a legion of unclean spirits inside one person and so these are all part of the enemy's plot so you must understand that understand that before you start looking into uh, the entertainment of this world system. The thief comes not but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. You're not going to glean the good from the thief's agenda. You're not going to be able to glean good from the enemy's plan because he is as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Now, you know what? I heard a great uh, Bible lesson one time on young lions young lions and the bible describes this believer as as having authority over the lion and over the young lion 
And we know we have the authority over the lion. But we don't many times think of it in terms of the young lion. But the young lion is different than the lion, right? Young lions are cute. <laughs> young lions are cuddly. Young lions are just, they kind of bounce around and, and they're, they're just kind of, you know, almost like a puppy. Like a, like a kitten. And you, you take them for granted. But when they grow up, they become quite a different story. And this is the way it is sometimes with little habits that are not of God. When they start off, you kind of have a little fun with it. Little thoughts that you allow to enter into your mind. Little bits and pieces of pride that you allow into your soul. Little, little fears that you are not intimidated by having them. If, if we knew how destructive fear was, we would shun it the moment it came knocking on our door. You should be, if you're going to fear something, fear, fear. Because fear is the thing you should be running from. Be afraid of having fear in your life. I don't want it to have any foothold. And as a matter of fact, that's what President Roosevelt meant when he said we have nothing to fear but fear itself. He was pointing out the fact that if you, can, if you can eliminate fear from your life, there's nothing to be afraid of. If we knew how devastating and how destructive these ideas, these concepts, these plots the enemy has for your life are, we would, we would run from them. We would flee from them. And so we're looking at the fact that, that the devil has a plot. Now Herod, in our Christmas story... Herod represents the enemy of our soul. He represents the enemy of our soul. Uh, one way that we know that is that his reaction to the Christ child being born was born out of, his reaction was born out of insecurity. His reaction was born out of doubt. His reaction was born out of fear. Worry. These are trademark traits of the adversary. Whenever you have a feeling of insecurity, you can know beyond the shadow of a doubt that it's the adversary trying to gain influence in your life. Whatever you're insecure about. What are you insecure about? Don't tell me, but just think about it for a moment. You can, you can count on the fact that the adversary has tried to point that out to you. Whatever it is that you're insecure about, whatever it is that prohibits you from thriving, you can know for a fact that it is the adversary that has tried to bring about this concentration upon this item or that item into your life because it's what he does. It's a part of how he steals. It's a part of how he kills. It's a part of how he destroys. It's a part of his, of his plot. So Herod had a plot. He had heard from three, we say three, but we, we don't know that there were three. We heard from wise men. The reason we think there are three is because there were three gifts. Could have been a hundred wise men with three gifts. Each one frankincense, gold, and myrrh, or, or a variation of that. And, and we don't know how many wise men there were, but we know they came from the east and they brought these 
three gifts to Jesus, they saw his star in the east. Verse 1 of Matthew 2, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east. Now, folks, I won't even begin to be able to explain what all is encapsulated in these verses. Who were these wise men? And how did they know it was his star? And, and, and what brought them from the east to Jerusalem? I mean, that's not just jumping on a, on a plane and taking off and, and landing. They, that's quite a journey. They saw his star in the east and they came to worship him. Now, I'm going to tell you something. We don't have a corner on this message of his great gospel. We might think we have a corner on the market, but I want you to know God can reveal himself to anybody, anywhere, through any means. And it's his business because they're his children and he's their God. And so, so we don't have a corner on this, on, on who gets to hear what. And I've met people, I've met people who, who had never heard the word apostolic. And when they started telling me about their Christian experience, they said, I've been baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. I'll never forget it. I was at the uh, University of Cincinnati and, and was introduced to a scout for the Oakland Raiders. And we were talking, and he said, uh, they introduced me to him. He was there looking for quarterbacks. And, uh, and they brought me in to... to, to <laughs> they brought me in there and introduced me to him and him to me. He said, uh, you're, past, you're a pastor. I said, yes. He said, we need more pastors down here on campus. I said, yes, we do. He said, well, he said, I, I'm, I'm touring the country looking for quarterbacks. And he said, and he said, I, uh, he said, I, uh, that's what I do for a living. But he said, what I'd like to be doing is sharing the good news. I said, well, amen. He said, he started quoting some of his favorite scriptures and they weren't just like common scriptures. They were he had done some studying to, to have these as inspirational scriptures for his life. And so I, I listened intently. He proceeded to tell me, or he asked me, he said, what church do you pastor? I said, uh, First Apostolic Church at that time in Kenwood. And he said, uh, he said Apostolic, what is that? I said, well, I said, it, it's, it's, it's a type of Pentecost. I said, we're Pentecostal, Apostolic Pentecostal. He said, oh, Pentecostal. He said, I, I, my grandmother used to take me to the Pentecostal camp meetings in North Carolina. I said, really? He said, yes. He said, I, they, I went to those camp meetings and I received the gift of the Holy Ghost. I said, well, glory to God. He said, in 1969, he said, I was baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. But in 1972, the Jesus Only movement came to town, and I was baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. I said, and you don't know what the word apostolic means? That's what you are. 
Glory to God. We don't know who God is reaching and who God is ministering to and who God is revealing himself to. God is God. And it's God's business. And so he's out here in the east. Who knows where exactly? But over in the east, there are wise men who are literally waiting for the coming of Jesus Christ. Why? Because God has a plan. God has a plan. Just as you need to know and believe and be aware that the enemy has a plot, you need to know and believe and be aware that God has a plan. And you need to get plugged in to his plan. God has a plan. And it involves the salvation of people. God looks upon this world and he sees the sin of this world and he's moved with compassion God looks upon this world and he sees the sickness of this world and he's moved with compassion. By moved, listen, I don't just mean he got, oh, his heart began to swell up. That's not what I mean. When I say he was moved with compassion, I mean he was manifest in the flesh. He committed himself into this world over the sin-stricken condition of this society. And so God has a plan. And this plan was clearly articulated by the prophets. The prophets spoke of the plan of God. And it involved the Lord himself coming into this earth. Hallelujah. As Jesus the Christ. Glory to God. Hallelujah. And I feel the Holy Ghost. Jesus the Christ coming into this world. When you look at this Old Testament, ladies and gentlemen, this Old Testament testifies of Jesus Christ. It's it's not just a collection of stories and poems. It's not just an excellent piece of literature. It is an absolute testimony of Jesus Christ. And every time the Bible refers to For instance, to the blessed man. It's referring to Jesus Christ. We're going to get into that here in a moment. But notice what happens when Herod finds out that these wise men are come to worship him. In verse 3, when Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled. And all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests. And when he gathered the scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea. For thus it is written by the prophet, Micah chapter 5 and verse 2. Thou Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah. For out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Now notice in Micah chapter 5, the Bible describes the Lord as saying, Though thou be little. There's an old song that says, Little is much when God is in it. Do you know God's plan involves a lot of little things? And if you're not careful, you'll underestimate the power of the little things God is doing in your life. But rest assured, the enemy is not underestimating the power of the little things. The enemy will abort those little things if he could. The enemy will track those little things down and kill them 
if you let him. I want to say that again. Herod finds out there's a baby born. Herod finds out that this baby is to be the king of the Jews. Herod finds out that this baby is to be a ruler of Israel. Herod finds What's Herod worried about? He's a, he's a powerful king, and this is a small baby. But he understood the potential of little things, the power of little things. How often we overlook the potential of little things. How often we overlook the power of little things. We go our day and our, the, listen to what the Bible says about the Lord's relationship with us. The Bible says he daily loadeth us with benefits. And because we overlook those benefits, the enemy comes in and stomps them out. Tracks them down and kills them. And we're just getting blessed and blessed and blessed and blessed. And there's so much joy and there's so much peace and there's so much love. And all these little benefits and all these little things, little things, little things, little stuff that God does for us daily. If you'll foster that spirit of gratitude, it'll grow up into a powerful force in your life. Now, I, 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 this brings me to a story in the Bible, two stories. Brings me to two stories in the Bible. One is the story of, of Hophni and Phineas and Eli. Hophni and Phineas died and Eli died. When Eli died and Hophni and Phineas died, Eli's daughter-in-law was expecting a child. When the child was born, she had lost all hope because the grandfather had died. The father had died, the uncle had died, and she felt all was lost. She underestimated the power of the little thing that had just been born. And she said famously or infamously, Ichabod. I want you to notice, God didn't say Ichabod. She said Ichabod. Be careful that you don't name something that God doesn't intend to name it that. Be careful that you don't say the glory of God has departed when the glory of God has not departed. Let this thing grow in your life. Let this new blessing grow in your life. Don't let the enemy come in and steal from you the newfound joy that God has put in your life. It's easy in the heat of the moment to say, this is worth nothing to me. This doesn't matter to me because it's not... What I consider to be glory. What I consider to be glory was Eli as the priest. What I consider to be glory was Hophni and Phinehas in charge. And now all I got to show for what used to be is this, this little baby. The glory of God has departed, she said. But she was wrong. She let the enemy come in and kill what God had developed. Now, you look at the story, two stories. The Bible describes, the Bible describes Jacob and, and Rachel. Rachel had two children, Joseph and Benjamin. She died giving birth to Benjamin. Giving birth to Benjamin was the last thing she would do. And when that baby was born, that baby was born and she named it. And she named it Benoni. Which means the son of my pain. In the heat of the moment. When life was issuing out of her. 
she felt like this is nothing but pain and there's no real advantage at all. But Jacob swooped in, grabbed that baby, lifted that baby up before the Lord and changed the name on the spot. His name will not be Benoni. His name will be Benjamin, the son of power. It's so important, ladies and gentlemen, that you don't yield God's plan to the enemy's plot. It's so important that you don't just throw up your hands and say, because things have turned against me, because things aren't going my way, I'm going to let this thing represent pain. I'm going to let this represent the glory of God departing from Israel. I'm going to let this thing be a part of the enemy's plan. I refuse to give place to the devil. I want God to be magnified in my life. I want God to be glorified in my mind. I want the Spirit of the Lord, hallelujah, to have His way in my home and in my children and in my marriage and in my ministry and in my relationships. I want the power of God to be manifest. That's God's plan for you. Glory to God. That's God's plan for you. So regardless of what the enemy would try to bring against your life, know that God has a plan for your life. Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse number 11, one of the great verses of Scripture. Jeremiah chapter 29 verse 11, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord. Thoughts of peace, not of evil. To give you an, and I love this, an expected end. I, you know, when, when all this ends, I, I, I have expectation of what's coming. God's giving me an expected end. It's, it's not lost on me what happens when this thing is over with. It would be so foolish of me to live for the fanciful ideas of this world foolishness utter foolishness to live according to the appetites and the cravings of this world this world is not our home it is the enemy's plot to get us focused on things on the earth it is God's plan for us to set our affection on things above he has thoughts that we don't know about can I remind you his thoughts are higher than your thoughts can I remind you that his ways are higher than your ways? When it doesn't seem like it makes sense, it still makes sense to God. When it seems like it doesn't calculate accordingly, it still calculates with God. And you know, you, if, you, if you're waiting for people to approve of your submission to God's plan, then you have bought into one of the biggest plot lines of the enemy his whole plot you got to watch it folks every turn of the road there'll be another way that he's trying to trip you up he'll put people in your path that seem like they know which way you should go and you will fall into a miserable miserable place if you begin to believe the lies of those who come your way and are out to destroy you as part of the enemy's plan. Some people die without ever being vindicated. Some people die without their words being believed. 
I'm sure Isaiah would have loved to have stuck around long enough to know that a virgin did, in fact, conceive and bring forth a son. I know that if I stood up in this pulpit and said, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bring forth a son, and everybody laughed me to scorn and walked out and said, We're never going back to that wacko preacher's church again. And I had to go trying to convince people that God told me, God said it, God revealed it to me. I would like to live long enough to see it happen. But when you're part of God's plan, you have to understand that this is his plan. And it's his thoughts and it's his ways. And you just believe it and obey it and go for it and live by it and die by it. Hallelujah. And walk in it. And never, ever turn aside. Glory to God. So Isaiah, if you never see the virgin who shall conceive and bring forth a son, just know you spoke what God told you to speak. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If you never see him who was wounded and bruised and chastised, but just know you spoke what God told you to speak. If you never see that unto us a son is given, if you never see that unto us a child is born, if you never get to know on this earth that his name was in fact called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting Father and the Prince of Peace, just know you spoke what God told you to speak. And if man never applauds you, so be it. And if everybody dies with you calling you a liar, so be it. If everybody says he was a false prophet, it didn't come to pass. And look, he's in the grave now. So be it. Speak what the Lord tells you to speak. Live how the Lord tells you to live. You got to do it because God has a plan for your life. God has a big, big picture. But the devil does have a grand scheme. And you got to be careful that you don't fall into the devil's grand scheme. You must take part in God's big picture. Discerning between the enemy's plot and God's plan. Herod looks at these wise men who come to him and say, we've seen a star in the east, we've come to worship him. And, and I don't know if they tweeted it or what, but all of Jerusalem knew about it. And everybody was troubled, including Herod. And, and Herod looked at them and so slyly said, go find him. And tell me the exact location. Because I want to worship him too. Again, the enemy will not always come to you with a pitchfork in hand. He will not always come to you with a forked tail and a forked tongue. Complete with the big red mask and yellow eyes and big fangs. He will not always come to you. Screaming like Goliath, roaring like the lion, growling like the bear. Many times he'll pose as a worshiper. I want to worship him. I want to worship him. That's what Herod told the wise men. I want to worship Jesus. Ah, think about that. Think about how deceptive this plot is. So the wise men, they... See the star again. And when they saw the star again, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And they came to where the child was and they come bearing gifts. I wish I had time to preach on gold, 
frankincense and myrrh and what they represent and how that those are the gifts that all wise people bring to Jesus. And they come and they worship him. They saw a star. But do you notice, notice what the Bible says about these wise men in Matthew chapter 2? When they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother. They fell down, wise men, gold, frankincense, myrrh. They've got money, folks. They've got prestige, folks. They had access directly to Herod the king. There was no, there was no, uh, there was no uh, waiting list. They got in and talked to him face to face. They not only had the wherewithal to travel that distance, but they were able to travel that distance with very costly merchandise. But when they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, they fell down and they worshipped him. And when they opened their treasures, these men had treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold, frankincense and myrrh and being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod they departed into their own country another way and when they were departed behold the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream saying arise and take the young child and his mother and flee into Egypt now let me just point something out about these angels in, in the Christmas story. You know, has anybody noticed there are a lot of angels in the Christmas story? A lot of them. One appears to Mary. One appears to Zacharias. One appears to Joseph. One appears uh, to the shepherds. And then the whole heavenly host shows up and, and is... And is saying together, glory to God in the highest, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. There's a lot of angels in this story. Now, there are angels all throughout the Bible. Plenty of them. One appears to Joshua. Uh, there's one who appears to Abram. There's one who appears to Peter. There's one who, uh, who appears to Paul in prison. Peter got one in prison and so did Paul. And, and so there are, there are a lot of times in the scriptures where there's angelic activity. There's no time in the scriptures where there's more angelic activity than at the time Jesus is about to be born. Remember when Jacob was at, was at Bethel and he had the dream and he saw the ladder ascending into the glory of God. There were angels ascending and descending on the ladder. And I always thought of that as being, you know, that God was kind of showing off. Like almost like a changing of the guard type thing. Like a look, look, look what I got. I got all these angels going up and down this big ladder, Jacob. That's not what God was doing. Jacob was just seeing what goes on all the time. Angels were working. The Bible calls them flames of fire, ministering spirits as they minister to the heirs of salvation. They come and go at the pleasure of God. And God sends forth angels and when it came time for the Christ child to be born the plan of God went into high gear and God was using people and people can mess things up a lot and so God was constantly sending angels tell them to not be afraid 
Tell them to take that step of faith. Tell them. Tell them to go here, to go there. Now notice what this angel said to Joseph. Take the young child, his mother. Flee into Egypt and be thou there until I bring thee word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he rose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed into Egypt. And was there until the death of Herod. That it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet. Here he's referring to the prophet Hosea. Who said, out of Egypt have I called my son. The angel spoke a word to Joseph. Joseph went according to the word of the angel because the word of the angel correlated with the scriptures. You want to know how to submit to the plan of God and overcome the plot of the enemy? Surrender your life to the scriptures. When you surrender your life to the scriptures then you are a participant in the plan of God. And everything that these scriptures say will apply to you. Let me explain what I mean. Here we see that the Bible says that it should be fulfilled. Joseph literally had to go into Egypt so that it could be fulfilled in the scriptures which say out of Egypt... I will bring forth my son. When Hosea prophesied that, he not only prophesied it, but he gave a history of Israel. Israel was the son that came out of Egypt. But what Hosea understood was that Israel was only a type and a shadow of the son of God, which would come up out of Egypt, which is the firstborn among many brethren who also will be sons of God who will come up out of Egypt. That's you and I. It's understanding the scriptures. This Old Testament, again, I say, is not just an amazing piece of literature. This isn't just a chronicle of Israel's history. In fact, the Pharisees mistook it to be so. And they could quote it better than any of us in this room or anybody listening to me. They could quote it better. And Jesus listened to them quote, 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 quote. Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy and the Psalms and all the Chronicles and all the Kings and Isaiah and Jeremiah. And finally he said, search those scriptures. Search them carefully. For in them you think you have eternal life. But you've missed the whole point of them. Because they are they which testify of me. Hallelujah. So when Daniel comes up out of the lion's den, that's Jesus coming out of the lion's den. And that's us coming out of the lion's den. And when Israel comes out of Egypt, that's Jesus coming out of Egypt. And that's us coming out of Egypt. And when Israel goes into the promised land, that's Jesus going into the promised land. And that's you and I going into the promised land. And when, and when the walls come down, that's Jesus bringing the walls down. That's us bringing the walls down. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Notice, notice what the Bible says. 
when he said, search the scriptures, they are they which testify of me. This is what he's trying to tell the Pharisees. Verse 1 of Psalm 1. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. What man? The man. Blessed is the man. What man? The man. The one man. Now, that, now it applies to everybody who will submit and surrender to the plan of God. But let's not mistake who this is talking about. Let me explain what I mean. If we mistake who this is talking about, then here's where we will flaw, where we will default and falter. We will try our best to not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. We will try our best not to stand in the way of sinners. We will try our best not to sit in the seat of the scornful. We'll try our best to delight ourselves in the law of the Lord. We'll try our best to delight ourselves in his law and meditate in it day and night. And we will hope through our own efforts that we will be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. But it's not just talking about us. Before it's talking about us, it's talking about Jesus. They are they which testify of Jesus. He's the man that walked not in the counsel of the ungodly. He's the man who stood not in the way of sinners. He's the man who did not sit in the seat of the scornful. He's the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord. He's the one who in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he's the one who's like a tree planted by the rivers of water. If I want these things to be true of me, then I have to be in him witchcraft teaches that these things can be true without Jesus it is the ultimate rebellion because you and I cannot achieve these things without Jesus Christ Psalm 15 Lord who shall abide in thy tabernacle who shall dwell in thy holy hill he who he who's he he that walketh uprightly. It's Jesus who walked uprightly. He who worketh righteousness. He who speaketh the truth in his heart. He that backbiteth not with his tongue. He that doesn't do evil to his neighbor. He that doesn't take up a reproach against his neighbor. He in whose eyes a vile person is contemned. But he honoreth them that fear the Lord. He that sweareth to his own hurt and changeth not. He that putteth not out his money to usury. Nor taketh reward against the innocent. He that doeth these things shall never be moved. The he is Jesus. If I want that he to be me, I have to be in him. Glory to God. Hallelujah. They are they which testify me. See, you're searching the scriptures and you're trying to do them on your own. Psalm 24, verse number 3. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who shall stand in his holy place? Verse 4. He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive the blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Guess what? That's Jesus. What we try to do is we try to go clean up our hands. Clean up our hands. We wash it real good with the nearest soap. The problem is when you go to dry it off, all you've got is the filthy rags of your own righteousness. And you get it dirty again. 
Nothing worse than drying clean hands with a dirty towel. And that's what the Bible says. He who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord or stand in his holy place is he that hath clean hands. That's not you. That's not me. That's Jesus. If I want clean hands and a pure heart, I have to be in Jesus. The Bible says as much if you continue reading. This is the generation of them that seek him. That seek thy face, O Jacob. Selah. Let that sink in. Don't just read this on the surface, but pause and think about it. Selah. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lift up, you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O ye gates. Even lift them up, you everlasting doors. And the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory again. Selah. Think about that for a little while. This is what he is saying to the Pharisees when he said, search those scriptures. You think that it's a race to see who has the cleanest hands and the purest heart. That race has already been won and we already know who won it. There's only one with clean hands. There's only one with a pure heart. The only way I can have clean hands and a pure heart is to be in Him and be washed by His blood. Hallelujah. This is the plan of God. This is the plan of God. I am surrendered to the plan of God. I'm submitted to the plan of God. When I'm surrendered and submitted to the plan of God, the enemy cannot wreak his havoc in my life. Whatever havoc the enemy tries to bring into my life is subject to the will of God. Subject to the plan of God. Amen. Let me, let me explain what I mean. Good thing, or pardon me, bad things do happen to good people. But here's what you know when you're living for the Lord. Nothing can enter my life that is for my evil. It must be for my good. It cannot be to my demise. Because I am submitted to the plan of God. There's no sickness that can enter my life that isn't for my good. There's no hardship that can enter my life that isn't for my good. There's no betrayal that can enter my life that isn't somehow for my good. And because I know this, I count it all joy. And I praise him in the midst of my trial. And I worship him in the midst of my suffering. I count it all joy. Every little bit of it. Every ounce of suffering. Joy. Every ounce of hurt. Joy. Every ounce of pain. Joy. 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 Glory to God. It's a part of God's plan. It's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. I'm surrendered to it. I'm submitted to it. Hallelujah. So here I am. I'm covered by the blood of Jesus. Some devil tries to come into my life like he did Job. Anybody ever felt like Job? We've, none of us have never had it as bad as Job. Sometimes we, oh, I feel like Job. Nah. No, you don't really feel like Job. You might feel like some other people who went through some hard times. But Job, I've never seen anybody go through what Job went through. 
and, and, and there, were, there were definitive hedges around his life that the Lord had set up. And, and, and the devil could not penetrate those hedges. Can I tell you that the devil cannot penetrate your hedges? The hedges that God has put around your life. The fear then becomes, well, what if God lets down the hedge? Lord, build up the hedge. Jesus, be a fence all around me every day. Amen. I, you, you said you will. Hallelujah. Fight my battles. Glory. Hallelujah. Build up that hedge. I pray a hedge of protection in Jesus' name. But here's what God knew. God knew that the devil could only go so far through that hedge. And if he wanted another hedge to come down, he would have to ask for that hedge to come down. And no matter how far the devil was allowed to go, none of it was for Job's demise. And all of it was for Job's good. And at the end of his life, Job's life was better than it was to begin with. And his eternal perspective of God kicked in. He received a revelation of God that he never could have had. And I know that doesn't really comfort people, truthfully. I'll just be honest with you. You could say, well, you might have to go through a bunch of junk, but you're going to know God when it's all over with. You're like, great. I'd just rather not go through the bunch of junk. But if you knew how sweet he is, and if you knew how that's the only thing that matters, then you would not begrudge it. You would crave it. And when you know him, you will know it was worth it all. Worth every long mile. Worth every hard trial. Hallelujah. 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 Glory to the Lamb of God. Nothing can penetrate the blood of Jesus without being for my good. If something is allowed through the blood of the Lamb and into my life, the blood that covers me will have sanctified it, cleansed it, and purified it from all of its evil and all of its malice. And now the only thing left is for my good. If it's a sickness, can't come through the blood unless it... Listen, the devil's not just going to be able to waltz up into the born-again believer's life and wreak havoc just for wreaking havoc's sake. Not going to happen. If the devil's going to enter into your life, the only way that can happen is if, is, is if it's going to become a participant in God's divine providence. So no, I'm sorry. You, you're not allowed into my world to just cause confusion because I'm surrendered to the plan of God for my life. And if that plan involves a hardship, God forbid, but if it involves a hardship, that hardship is going to be for my good. I will be wiser. I will be stronger. I will be more loving. I will be more compassionate. It will have stripped from me some things I couldn't have taken into heaven with me. Because it's part of God's plan. Herod was left plotting and scheming. He went on a rampage trying to kill every child that was born, every man child that was born, in hopes of destroying the Messiah. And I'm going to tell you something. The devil can kill a lot of things, but he cannot kill the Jesus in you. Hallelujah. And that's what lasts. 
Everything else passes away. But that's what lasts. I don't know about you. I think I do. I think I do. I'm so tired of the pain of this world. You know what? I'm tired of, I'm tired of waking up every day and hearing about somebody else who died. I'm really tired of that. It's, it, who knows who will be next? The pain of this world. But I'm thankful that in the plan of God, we'll all be united in glory. Hallelujah. You got to remember that, folks. I'm thankful that in the plan of God, hallelujah, all is peace forevermore on that happy golden shore. I'm grateful in the plan of God that I have an expected end. Glory to God. Herod has a plot, but God has a plan. Don't live for this world. You'll be subjected to Herod's plot. Don't live according to the fashion of this world. You'll be subjected to Herod's plot. Don't buy into the philosophies of this world. You'll be subjected to Herod's plot. But be like Joseph. Study the scriptures. See who they're talking about. Know them. Know when it's time to go to Bethlehem. Know when it's time to go to Egypt. Know when it's time for the scriptures to be fulfilled. Learn the word. Follow the word. Follow what the Bible says about how a wise man lives. Follow what the Bible says about how a righteous man lives. Follow what the Bible says about how a pure man lives. Follow what the Bible says about blessed are the meek and blessed are the pure in heart and blessed are the poor in spirit. Follow what the Bible says, hallelujah, about adhering to the plan of God. You will never, never regret it. I regret a lot of things, but none of the things I regret are things I did for the Lord. The only things I regret are the things I did according to the flesh. But all the things I did for the Lord, I cherish and give Him praise for it. Hallelujah. I wonder if somebody could just fall back into the plan of God right now and say, Lord, you've got me, and I understand that. Oh, hallelujah. Come on, somebody. Commit thy way unto the Lord, and he shall bring it to pass. Commit thy way unto the Lord, and he shall bring it to pass. Commit thy way unto the Lord, and he shall bring it to pass. Woo! Commit thy way unto the Lord, and he shall bring it to pass. Come on, right now. Just lift up your hands unto him right now. Give him praise today. Give him praise today. Oh, hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Glory to God. 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 Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. You know, you know one of the toughest questions people will ever ask themselves is, how do I know what is the will of God? How will I know what to do and when to do it. You know, you are taking too much on yourself. You really are. Just be in Jesus. Be in Jesus. Abide in Him. And let Him abide in you. You can ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. Listen to what the Bible says. The Bible says the steps of a good man are ordered of the Lord. 
the good man in Psalm 37, 23 is Jesus. We know that because there's none good but God. The steps of the good man, every step Jesus took, whether it was in Nazareth or whether it was in Capernaum or whether it was in Galilee or whether it was in Jerusalem or whether it was in Bethany or whether it was on the Sea of Galilee. Every step that he took was ordered of the Lord. If I want my steps to be ordered of the Lord, all I've got to do is be in Jesus Christ. Praying, believing, obeying, studying, loving, living, learning. And I don't have to worry about taking the wrong step because he's ordering my steps. And all of a sudden, I'll just, I'll just turn right. And I'll go that way and then turn left. And I don't have to worry about whether I'm misstepping or not because he's ordering my steps. So I can go to bed at night knowing I'm in his hand. I'm in his will. He's planned my life. And I'm walking with him. And I'm living for him. Now let me tell you something. One of the, one of the key things about this were two groups of people. One were called shepherds and one were called wise men. You need both in your life. Don't try to do this without a shepherd. You need a pastor. You need that. You need that guidance in your life. Someone that, that's going to pray and seek God. I take this position very seriously of, of seeking God and, and delivering the word of the Lord. Whether it's behind this pulpit or in a one-on-one -on -one conversation, I take it very seriously because I know the role that I play. Not me as just a person, but in this office of pastor I know the role that the pastor plays in the plan of God for someone's life you need wise people in your life wise people who can hear from God the wise men heard from God and did not return to Herod can I tell you this church is filled with wise people who hear God who love God who serve God who were ready and willing to help you in your quest to see Jesus thrive in your life. Glory to God. Oh, how the devil would love to kill him as a baby. But God has big plans for this Christ child. God has big plans. He's going to grow in wisdom. He's going to grow in stature. He's going to heal the sick. He's going to open the eyes of the blind and unlock the deaf ears. He's going to cause the lame to walk again. And he's going to raise the dead from their death. Hallelujah. If you believe it today, why don't you lift your hand in praise to the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. As we sing this song, just all across this building, tell him, God, I surrender my life to your plan. I surrender my life to your plan. God, don't let the enemy have any advantage in my life. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, don't let the enemy have any advantage in my life. Never 